so 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 what you're saying is like it is essentially like so you have ethereum like l1 right that's that's the, the blockchain right then you have the l2s which are built on top of the l1 and what you're saying is you're actually taking the the layer below that like the fundamental core of ethereum and saying hey now you can build, I don't even know what you call them. You can, you can build whatever you want on this. Like you can bypass the, the layer one and just built on the like core foundation of Ethereum, all kinds of new things. It, is that another way to? That is exactly what, that's exactly what we're saying. So you can run like a, that's how you can run a new chain. You can run a new Oracle. You can run like a super sharded system. You can run like anything. Like, I don't know, like. You don't need another network to do anything. Like there's already the trust network. No, let's just do whatever you want on top of it. Wow. Wait. Okay. So. Welcome to Steady Lads. In this episode, I interview Sriram, CEO and founder of Eigen Labs. He was originally a professor at the University of Washington, graduated from the University of California, did his postdoc at Stanford, where he got his PhD in electrical engineering and master of science in mathematics. Originally, he was working in the field of computational biology before shifting gears and building Eigenlayer. Eigenlayer is said to be the most revolutionary advancement since the creation of Ethereum itself. And I wanted to do this podcast so that I could understand why people say that. It's a pretty crazy, wild thing to say, and exactly what Eigenlayer is. In this podcast, we cover what restaking is, what Eigenlayer is, the type of things that can be built with Eigenlayer, and a ton more. If you're primarily interested in investing in the crypto space, this episode will be extremely helpful to you. Knowing where crypto is going is the ultimate alpha that will allow you to dominate this cycle. I was convinced after this conversation that practically nobody actually understands how big of a shift Eigenlayer represents for crypto as a whole, and that Eigenlayer will change everything. Okay, can you can you just, I guess, maybe really simply break down what is restaking? Like, um, and, and think of like for the average person, like try to break it down for uh, somebody who doesn't really understand crypto. Yeah. Okay. So. Staking, so before we go restaking, staking is basically I put down an asset and then I make a promise that I'm running. So you want to run a decentralized network. The question is who's running it? How do you make sure they're running it correctly? So the first one is who's allowed to run it? You need to have some entry condition. And then second one, how do you make sure that they're running it correctly? We need to have some rewards and penalties, which make sure that they're doing their thing correctly. So staking is an all-in-one solution for all these three problems. So you have to, so well, the way these protocols work is I put down an asset in, in, because this asset should be blockchain native. Maybe it is Ether, maybe it is Bitcoin, depending on whatever blockchain you're on. You take the asset and then you lock it up. And now you have rights to participate in the network. So that's the entry condition problem solved. The next one, you, how do you earn rewards? You earn rewards based on transaction fees and other things get distributed based on the amount of stake that you've put in. So that's the rewards part. Then the third part is you have a penalty. What if you just go berserk and then try to attack the network, even though you're trying to participate in it because you know you have some something to gain. So when you move from centralized to decentralized and you don't have the tools of legal and other enforcement on your hand, you have to build a system that just works by itself without anybody like having to think about it. So how do you make sure that these nodes behave correctly is you program something called a slashing condition. A slashing condition is if you don't obey the rules of the protocol, you will lose your deposit. So that's the basic idea. So this is called staking. 
staking is entry control, staking is used for rewards distribution, staking is used for penalization. What we observed, actually, I you know, this word restaking became very popular and it's became a meme as it's, it's good, but the fundamental is it is a universal programmable staking. That's what Eigenlayer is. It is, I can normally when you stake, you are obliging to the condition of the protocol. Like in Ethereum, there's an Ethereum protocol and Ether is staked and you promise that you obey the Ethereum protocol correctly. But what if I can stake Ether and promise that I'll obey you know, this protocol and that protocol and any other protocol correctly? What if we can build the universal staking mechanism where I stake and then I can promise that I'm obeying all these protocols correctly? That's what Eigenlayer is. It's called restaking because the same stake is used across all these claims. But the the main point is I'm putting out a bunch of like digital asset and then I'm making a promise that I'm validating A, B, C, D, E, F, G correctly. So that is the core idea of restaking. So staking is the root of trust of Ethereum. And so what Eigenlayer does is figure out how to tap into the root of trust and transfer it to anybody else who may want to use it. Got it. Okay, so kind of put... Really simply then, restaking would be, <clears throat> right now I, I could take my ETH, I can stake it on Lido, or uh, I can do, have my own home staker and I could earn about 4%. Restaking is uh, taking that same stake and saying, hey, I'll also, um, I'm also verifying uh, some some other block, is it another blockchain or another app or would it be either? Uh, anything that requires uh, decentralized validation. Right. It could be a blockchain. It could be like a, an Oracle. I want a network which will go and fetch prices from the internet. Or I. it could be like a bridge. You know, it reads data from another chain. Anything that requires decentralized validation may not be a chain by itself. It may be a service. It's like I store the data and it gives me a receipt that the data has been stored. Any of these kinds of things can be built on top of anything that needs like more than one node and requires them to be enforced in some way. Got it. So it just allows, I guess it, it further, it takes Ethereum's trust and it expands that to like a bunch of other stuff. Is that? That's correct. But, but in doing that, so like if as a staker, you know, I'm earning 4% on ETH, uh, say uh, an Oracle network kind of gets built and, and they want to also use my, my stake or whatever. Um, they would also be doing some sort of yield to the, to the person who's staking? That's right, because otherwise, why would you? Because it's all opt-in. So Eigenlayer is a very uh, fine-grained opt-in. So you can, you know, when you're staking Ether and opt-in to Eigenlayer, it doesn't mean you're validating all the Eigenlayer protocols, all protocols built on top of Eigenlayer. You still go and decide, oh, I want to choose protocol A and protocol C, but not B because I don't like it, right? So you can choose very granularly. And if the protocol B is not giving enough fees, nobody will opt-in. Right, so some kind of rewards should be there as a staker to earn from all these protocols. Otherwise, nobody's going to opt into those protocols. And these these fees are they paid out in ETH? Are they paid out in like that the native token of that protocol, or do they just get to decide what they want to pay out in? They they get to decide. So eigenlayer is maximize freedom. Like that's the that's the <laughs> principle. Forcing anybody to do anything is not like the our job it is it is a coordination engine it's so the way we think of ourselves is we're just helping stakers node operators and people who create these services come together and then offer it right and yeah you know some sometimes it could be 
just, you know, it's a fraction of the user paid fees that goes to all these guys. It could be that, you know, I decide as a service that I have a new token and I'm giving the emissions of the token to like help these guys participate, you know. Maybe you get some NFTs if you participate. All of this flies like so I can let it a general purpose programmable staking platform uh, where, you know, the the conditions of the exchange are well specified and then you can engage in, in, in these. Okay, okay. So so say like theoretically you had like thousands of different protocols. They're all using restaking and they're all uh let's just for the sake of like making it really easy, say they're all different blockchains or whatever. I don't know. Um yeah. and they're they're I like I as a user decide, hey, I just want like maximum yield. I'm gonna opt into yeah. every single one. I'm looking at this maybe the slashing conditions or whatever, and I'm saying they all have pretty reasonable slashing conditions. I'm gonna opt into yeah. every single one. Say they were all offering one percent yield. Am I does, does that mean like Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's <laughs> that's where I think people get a little thrown off. They're not gonna offer one percent yield. Right, because what happens is all of the, these things are subject to free market equilibration. So what happens in a free market is if the risk is actually very low, then people will be willing to opt into these thousand services if the net reward of all of these things is like three, four percent, right? So they will all like keep reducing their fees till we actually find that operating point where like, you know, it's not like each protocol has to pay like some percent. It's just that the whole system and your your operating expense. So for each staker, the 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 important thing is that the operating expense plus the capital cost of locking up my stake should be compensated by all the things that I'm doing. And that's how things will equilibrate. So we wouldn't see like crazy things like a thousand percent APR. I'm sure there'll be like a blip like that sometime, but that's not the main point. The main point is that it is actually like, you know, market equal, because it's an open system, if if everybody says, oh, unless you give me extra 1%, I'm not opting in, somebody else will come and say, I don't need 1% from 1,000 protocols. I just need like 0.01% from 1,000 protocols. I get a 10%. So Okay, okay. So <clears throat> this is like an efficiency play. Like right now, you know, Bitcoin has to pay so much money out to its miners in order to secure the network, theoretically, with restaking. Bitcoin could come and say, hey, we're not going to use proof of work anymore. We're going to use proof of stake. We're going to use uh, ETH. I mean, obviously, they never do this. But we're going to use ETH nodes <laughs> to like validate. And, and we're going to cut our emissions by like 99.999%. And now it's like okay. super cheap to run the Bitcoin network. It's like something like that. That is, that is absolutely right. So that's the whole point of Eigenlayer is to make the cost of a new running a new protocol. If you're already running these 999 protocols, Adding one more protocol is just the operating expense because your capital expense is mostly kind of paid off. So you you basically get this very high economy of scale. The more protocols are there, the more like each one has to pay less, and that's that's the economy of efficiency. So I, I don't know. I, you're doing this all the time. What would you guess like is the equilibrium? Like you know, like say I got ten thousand dollars in ETH, and I'm I'm going to restake. I'm signing up for a second set of slashing conditions. That is like that's definitely a risk. What, what, what do you think, like, just as a guess, market is, it's got to be more than 4%, right? Like, it, it would be... No, because, uh, so firstly, this is on top of the 4%, right? Like, whatever right. existing return you're getting, it is on top of it. Whether it is 4% or 10% or 15%, this would be, like, a market-determined thing. I have no, like, yeah, okay, okay. knowledge <laughs> to actually make a guess. But 
it's basically like how sure are people that they're not losing their ETH and what are the systems in place that that's what drives the so the perception of risk being high means people will demand more like unless you give me more return i'm not going to opt in but if the perception of risk is lower and actual risk is lower also but it's important that not only the actual risk is lower the perception of risk is also lower then the reward will go down so IAPR will go down. So that is how the system will work. We don't know what the numbers will be. It's difficult to take a guess. Got it, got it. It's also like dependent. I think one way to think about it is what else could you be doing with your LST? And if the other thing I could be doing with my LST is go and do like liquidity provisioning or something else, and that return is 5% or 10%, then this market has to compete with that, basically. So that... so. It is not just an intrinsic parameter. It is in competition with everything else that exists. And so relative to the risk perception of those things, is the risk higher versus lower? And relative to it, what are you willing to pay? Do you think there will be like sort of almost like protocol risk? It, it, it like, okay, I get that. Like maybe there's their um, slashing conditions are all the same. But like I'd feel a lot comfortable, like more comfortable, say I'm like restaking for, um, you know, uh, bitcoin right or whatever solana i obviously they would not yeah. do that but like a, a name brand protocol i'd be like oh i'll restake yeah, yeah. for them uh for like pennies but some like obscure yeah. one i'm like i better yeah, i yeah. get paid more it, exactly and that's exactly how it should be because you know they are more risky even you know either they've gone through some like exactly same specification or exactly same contract and you don't have to worry about it and maybe then the perception that's why i said risk perception is very important not only the actual risk oh, got it so some new protocol has to raise to the attention bar to make sure that oh yeah we're giving this and then more people come in and it's stable for some time and then those people the initial people get compensated this is how all of crypto work right like you, your new 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 protocol comes in. Normally, what you, what they do is you have to buy and stake their token, and that's that's how it becomes decentralized. But instead, you always stake ETH, but earn in their other token. So normally, the, there was a coupling between the token of staking and the token of reward, and this coupling is just broken. That so this is going to change a lot. I just kind of like to take it back a step. This is going to change a lot for ETH, the asset, because like it goes from a four percent yielding asset to with with restaking like with relatively like relative safety you know potentially eight percent plus like at least in my mind i'm like if i was going to do it i'd at least want maybe i'm not the average but like at least want somewhere around double and i think most people would be like yeah run eight percent uh but maybe 10 15 maybe the start like you said it has this huge blip where it's a lot higher uh but that should increase a lot more d demand for eth because that's that's quite the yield <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the other protocols building on top would also use this as a mechanism to decentralize their own distribution of tokens. Like they'd say, yeah, you know, I need like normally they give whatever ad drops and other things. And, you know, who knows uh, if anybody actually like claims these things or uses it. But so these, these that'll be like many ways people will use it. We don't know what all these ways would be. But uh, having a common decentralized source of trust is actually like a pretty powerful thing. So that's our bet. Are, are people working on like liquid restaking tokens? Is that a thing? That is correct. That's a thing. <laughs> that's a big thing, actually. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> so it's, it's again like one of these things that's like purely emergent. Like, you know, crypto has these emergent things because it's permissionless. You know, we didn't build a, a, a fungible token or anything. There's, so you stake your ETH, you can come and withdraw it exactly like in Ethereum. 
That's what we built. And then somebody's like, oh, that's what they're doing. So why don't we create a liquid token on top of it? And so there is now like eight projects trying to build liquid restaking tokens. Yeah. Some existing projects became, which were liquid staking tokens and new, became, oh, actually, we're going to offer liquid restaking positions. And uh, so this is, it's interesting. It's emergent. Like that's, that's what happened. So now, so if people get a little bit like spooked by, oh, this is a lot of leverage or something, but I just want to take like a minute or two to explain this is fundamentally very different from all other kinds of risk and leverage. Because most times when you're taking a leverage position, you are underwriting more price risk or like uh, exaggerated exposure to price risk. You go and take a margin lending position at a 100x margin, the price moves 1%, you lose all your asset. Like that's what a, you know, a leverage position is. The risk is purely exogenous. It is coming from the world. That's what the risk uh, price moves and then you just get thrown off. And if there's a lot of leverage in the system, it just amplifies it and like everybody gets thrown off. But that's not what happens in either an LST or in a liquid restaking token is because it is simply like this guy is reliable. If this node operator is reliable and trustworthy, then he runs ABCD EFG services, is never going to lose his seat. So it is not at all like any other leverage that people are imagining this is some complicated. No. So what's happening is there is a cost of trust. So the cost of trust is what, you know, from the protocol point of view, I've been looking at it. Hey, I'm a protocol user. I don't know. I can trust this thing. Say, oh, you can trust it because all these people have staked so much and they're willing to lose it. That's from the protocol point of view. Somebody else goes around and they say, so that's a high cost of trust. Like I'm paying a lot to compensate for the cost of trust. And then somebody else is going around saying, yeah, actually, these people are all like pretty legit, reasonable, you know, node operators in very highly regulated jurisdictions. Nobody is going to come come and like commit a fault, which is provable with a cryptographic certificate, right? And they're not going to do it and go to jail. Like, this is not a thing that they're in this for. And you're like, yeah, I can trust this. And you take a de- you take a position which is saying that, yeah, you know, this is exactly will be equal to one ETH if these guys don't like behave illegally. And it is very, 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 very different from saying that there is like a margin position and I have a derivative token. So people just get all confused and wrapped up in this thing. But I think it's not at all related to what nominally people call leverage, where you're taking accelerated exposure to exogenous market price conditions. Whereas here, it's just... Is the node operator set trustworthy? If the node operator set is trustworthy, then this token is worth money. That's it. That's a different equation. I, I guess put simply, like normal leverage would be, it's not called slashing condition, but your slashing condition would be like if the price, you know, say you're levered up 200x or something, the price moves 1%, you lose all of your, you know, capital. It's like a pretty bad thing. And so like the, the probability of the price moving 1% in the wrong direction is like insanely high. And therefore, there's actually a lot of risk with leverage. But with Eigenlayer, the slashing condition is 
don't essentially for most probably 99 of them it's gonna be don't do bad things like don't act don't attack the protocol yeah. yeah don't act maliciously and you won't get slashed so your probability of doing that is actually really 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 low i mean actually it's fully in your control like you get to decide if you're going to do bad things exactly. and you sign up exactly. this is one of the reasons why like if you're an institution right if you're an institution and you want to stake and you want to participate in additional rewards you're absolutely this is the best thing possible like you know, you, it's in your control. You decide your operator. You're like, yeah, you know, I'm Fidelity. I want to run my own operator. I just take. And then, like, I promise my trust to all these guys. And, you know, as long as somebody else is trusting Fidelity, they can issue, like, a, you know, a receipt that just trades. So, so maybe to give kind of an analogy, it'd be like if you, were, if you went into a store, your slashing condition would be don't steal anything and you won't get slashed. It's like, it's like, don't do a malicious bad thing, you don't get slashed. And you get to control that. Like, it's not like you're gonna be made to steal something. You have to actually go choose to steal something. So as long as you don't choose that, you, the, the risk is zero. Uh, well, you have, you have um, you'd have smart contract risk. Smart contract risk, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but outside of that, it'd be zero. If you're using probably a liquid restaking token, then your risk actually could be pretty high if they, if they sign up for like, Say they were to sign up for any re like um, slashing condition, like say if they signed up for like a stupid slashing condition, right? Because yes, so usually like the right way to govern this liquid restaking systems would be that you know what Lido does. Lido has like a, a dual governance where like the Lido LDO token holders propose what things are, will be done, and the Steeth holders have a veto on it. So that would be the right kind of a governance system where. Maybe if you have a liquid staking thing, like, you know, the people who hold the liquid staking positions should have a governance vote on what new services they will get opted into. So there are safe ways to build this. There are stupid ways to build it. And like, it will, we'll see all of it. But yeah, I was going to say, but we'll see all of them because there's going to be somebody who literally just built a restate, a liquid restaking token that signs up for every single one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that those are going to be like dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just, it's a, it's a, it, this is the problem with, I think, you know, I was going to say crypto and permissionless platforms, but, you know, taking it three levels higher, this is a problem. This is the pros and cons of freedom. Yes. You get a little bit of anarchy. It's just freedom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm self-destructive behavior, so which is because you don't price your own long-term well-being enough. I think that is the you know that's what we call degen or whatever but i think that's basically the price of freedom but the market does work those things out pretty efficiently like you have a, a season of wild west which we're about to go into but once that's passed the market identifies those risks and is pretty good at avoiding them you know in the future so um yeah so, so i've heard a lot of people kind of basically saying like the eigen layer is the most important advancement since ethereum like this is a really really, really big deal. And I guess I, I kind of want to know, like, what sort of things is restaking going to enable that maybe isn't enabled today? Or why, why are people making such a huge deal out of it and saying it's the biggest thing since Ethereum? Like, that's a pretty big and bold thing to say. One way to think about it is before Ethereum, uh, if you wanted to build a new application, you need to build a whole new trust network, right? You know, before Ethereum, if you look at Bitcoin, there were other things like Namecoin just for one particular purpose, which is like a domain name service. So that needs its own trust network, its own proof of work, mining, whatever. And what Ethereum did is said, hey, you know, each application doesn't have to go and live in its own trust network. We have a common 
like system and a programming environment where you can just write a program. And it just turns out that there are lots of things that are not programmable. Firstly, there are block size limits, like, you know, Ethereum can only accommodate so many, so much block space. Why is that? That's because of the particular limits coming from the Ethereum consensus protocol, how information is distributed across all the nodes. It's fully replicated. It's flooded on a peer-to-peer -peer network. All of these things ensure that the total throughput of the system is very small. Okay, so you have that. There's the block space limit, number one. Second one, there is the pro programmability limit. I have to write it in EVM. I can't write it in some other thing. Then the third one is... I, I, I have, you know, people say EVM or Ethereum is fully programmable, but it's programmable via the EVM or this one interface. But it is not like I can go and say, if there are 1,000 validators, or every odd number validator should do something, and the even number validator should do something. This is not the level of programmability of Ethereum. So what Ethereum is doing is taking all these validators and bundling them and coordinating them in some way and then just giving you like one emergent interface. So that's the programmability that Ethereum affords. What Eigenlayer does is take exactly those same validators and then you can say, program each node. It's like all nodes run get, right? Like and get and whatever this, the, the consensus protocol in, in Ethereum. I can go and say like, you run this, you run that, you run a different thing. It is programmability like at the power of the entire distributed system. You can program everything. That's what Eigenlayer is. Eigenlayer just takes the Ethereum's decentralized trust network and now like gives you programmability at that that level. So so, so what you're saying is like, it, it's essentially like, so you have Ethereum, like L1, right? That's, a, that's the, the blockchain, right? Then you have the L2s, which are built on top of the L1. And what you're saying is you're actually taking the, the layer below that, like the fundamental core of Ethereum and saying, hey, now you can build, I don't even know what you call them. You can, you can build whatever you want on this. Like you can bypass the, the layer one and just built on the like core foundation of Ethereum, all kinds of new things. It, is that another way to? That is exactly what, that's exactly what we're saying. So you can run like a, that's how you can run a new chain. You can run a new Oracle. You can run like a super sharded system. You can run like anything. Like, I don't know, like, you don't need another network to do anything. Like there's already the trust network. Now let's just do whatever you want on top of it. Wow. Wait. Okay. So I, I, it's like in my head, I'm starting to picture it. Like I've always envisioned like the base, like the core of Ethereum as the L1. And what you kind of opened my, like just in, in you explaining that, like that, that isn't really the core. The core, the core of the trust of, L, of Ethereum is actually at a deeper level. Um, it's, the layers I, we use layer zero usually is like a, a social consensus but it's like almost like a different kind of of layers like the core of ethereum is this is this trust layer that now you're enabling for oracles other l1s um other you know who, who even knows that's crazy that, that makes a lot of sense why people are so excited about it because that is such a big deal. yeah like if you want to build a file coin you want to build a graph you want to build a, you know infura but decentralized you want to build a decentralized ai inference network you want to build basically anything that requires decentralized trust you can just build it so basically that's why it's like just take what ethereum did but just like take it one one level deeper now it's complete programmability at the level of the distributed system wow that's amazing. Uh, who would have thought? Who would have thought like that we would have come this far? I think there's a lot of people in the industry who <clears throat> they kind of get sh like shiny object syndrome, 
and they like look around and they start basing like they, they start to forget the fundamentals of what makes crypto so special. And it is that like trustlessness, like that is what makes it so powerful. That's why Bitcoin's so huge because, you know, they they have this this trustlessness. But I, I believe that actually Ethereum is um, is is more decentralized. It has more of a it's more secure uh, than even than even Bitcoin is um, because of a couple different reasons. And you're basically taking like the most trustless, secure, decentralized thing and enabling all of crypto to be built on it. This is this is a win-win system because you know Ethereum, the asset, and Ethereum stakers actually now enjoy additional rewards. But other people who want to have like massive bootstrapping problems don't have the bootstrapping problem anymore. In fact, it's not only need not only be thought of as a bootstrapping problem; it can be thought of as a perpetual solution. Like imagine I'm Facebook and I want or Meta and I want to start like a metaverse chain. Okay, normally I would have to do a token and the token has to be decentralized and all this stuff. Like, I don't need any of that. I just create this service, run it on Eigenlayer. Think of like, this is exactly what the cloud did, right? So if you want to run like a, write a cloud service, what you do is you write the software, throw it on AWS, the Amazon Web Services, it runs everything. And if it collects a fee, you get that fee. Like that's the cloud model. It's basically like Eigenlayer provides the decentralized cloud model using Ethereum's trust network. I just write like this decentralized software and it's the, the metaverse chain, throw it on Eigenlayer, it just keeps running. And then 50% of the fees goes into like Facebook's coffers and the remaining 50% goes to Ethereum stakers. Perfectly good workable solution. So, so why would anyone, like, I understand why somebody would use an alternative to Ethereum's layer one, right? Like maybe they don't like the high gas cost, they don't like the slow transaction fee, they want more custom customization. Is there a meaningful reason somebody wouldn't choose uh, to utilize Ethereum's trust layer? I mean, some uh, systems um, have like... Uh, built their own like token model around oh, the the only thing is staking for my network so that that is one 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 place where these two kind of visions rub against each other but the way we uh, recommend it is hey if you want to have your own token for staking but also use eth for staking you can have the dual staking model where you stake your own token and you know you get some consensus among it but you also get some consensus among the eth stakers so your consent, the trust is additive, right? You get like consensus from two quorums rather rather than one quorum. So the, there's ways to like nicely split the difference and it's not a binary choice. You don't have to choose between this and this. You could choose like 50% of fees goes here and 50% goes there. Or maybe like over time you're like, yeah, I don't need the Ethereum trust that much. So maybe only 10% of fees goes to Ethereum quorum and 90% of fees goes to my own quorum. So you can be completely flexible in how you design this. But, but there's no like, um, there's no downsides as far as like, it's not like it's slower because you're using Ethereum's trust. No, 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 there is no like, you, it's, it's as fast as like you go and run your own chain because it is running natively in your like, you know, in, in it's bad metal. You can just write whatever thing you want on top of it. There is nothing that we are like intervening into because all we are doing is taking these validators and their stake and then like saying that, hey, download and run arbitrary software. So we give like mechanisms for them to download, maintain and run these software and make promises loading onto their ETH that, 
hey, you know, this is an additional slashing condition and that's an additional slashing condition. So that's that's how it works. Got it. Okay. So so essentially, like, yeah, if somebody really is like, hey, my token needs a use case, it needs to be validating the blockchain, that would that'd be a reason. And I could see some people wanting to do that for maybe token value accrual. But like, out, but there is no like speed, there's no uh, cost, there's nothing like that. It actually saves you a lot of money. You could have super cheap gas fees because um, you're not building on Ethereum, the, the L1. You are using the core decentralization and trust of Ethereum to build literally anything, starting at like this foundational, it's like creative mode of Minecraft. Um, maybe that's not, that's not a good example. <laughs> Yeah, no, actually, like that David Hoffman came up with the same thing. He's like, oh, this is like Minecraft mods. You can run on arbitrary mod now. Yeah. That's so cool. Okay, okay. So I did think of something that's kind of a little unrelated, but like, do you have anything in place? Like, imagine somebody, you know, creates a, a protocol on uh, Eigenlayer, and they're, they're like purposefully malicious. Like, you know, like they have some, some tricks in their slashing conditions. They want to slash. They're like, hey, yeah. I am coming to attack um, you know, yeah. all these validators. And so I'm trying to kind of, it's almost like a virus on purpose. Do you have anything in place, like any measures on the Eigenlayer side to, to stop something like that? To, to minimize that. Yeah, absolutely. So Eigenlayer is intending to be eventually a completely permissionless platform, but it cannot start off like that because there is always this tension between innovation and safety. Like you want anybody to innovate, but you know, it can't go like crazy and, you know, crash, crash my machine. So how are we preventing it? Because we know slashing is where the risk is, we have what we call a slashing veto committee. Every slashing has to be fundamentally approved by the committee, otherwise it doesn't go through. So this committee basically like, if this committee is trustworthy, then, so slashing now requires two things. One is the slashing contract to approve it and the human committee to approve it. So it's it's an and of these two conditions. So it, if the software is malicious, you still have the committee to kind of protect you. So that's the model. So there is now that the committee is doing the slashing, uh, you know, monitoring the slashing, it needs to know what is the real slashing condition, what is the actual understanding, not just what is in code. So we... Um, so we, uh, what we do is um, ask the slashing committee to also have other duties, which is um, onboarding new services. Because you know the the slashing committee can say, "Oh, you cannot be onboarded unless you have these kinds of audits, unless you satisfy these conditions." So now there's an onboarding check, and then there is also like when slashing is triggered. That is a protection. It, unless it's approved by the human committee, it is not going to be approved. So I, I know you guys have things like Eigenlayer DA, and I've seen some like I feel like I saw a tweet about some sort of like co-processor co-processor thing. What are what, what are these extra things outside of uh, just kind of this restaking function? How do they work, and, and do they like uh, are they built using restaking? Can, can you just kind of go into more detail about those? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So. Using Eigenlayer, you can build any protocol. And so now what we are doing is actually using Eigenlayer to, uh, the first thing we did is build, use Eigenlayer to build a data availability protocol for rollups. So, you know, it, so we look at it and see, because, you know, Eigenlayer is such an Ethereum-centric project, you know, we don't build, you know, we invented this idea of restaking. I got invited in every other L1 to come and build the same thing. I'm like, I don't really know why there should be like a lot of different chains. It's not fully clear to me. 
Okay. That's because you need innovation, these things had to exist. But with Eigenlayer, I can just build all of them on Ethereum. So we just took a very Ethereum-centric position. So I'm, we're just building this on Ethereum. Uh, so since we are so like Ethereum-centric, one of the things is Ethereum has a roll-up-centric roadmap. Like, okay, you know, roll-ups uh, are going to be the major way in which Ethereum scales. Then the question is, what do roll-ups need that Eigenlayer can provide? So instead of, it's like, oh, it's roll-up. Initially, a lot of people were like, oh, it is roll-up versus Eigenlayer stake chains. No, that's not the right way. Roll-up's actually like such an important way to scale a common trust layer because I offload the execution and make proofs. But data availability becomes a bottleneck because you have to publish the data. All these off-node computations still need to publish the input and output of the computation on Ethereum. Now, that's expensive. Can I just build a special purpose layer which is focusing on just that thing, publishing data? And that's what we built EigenDA. In fact, I've been doing research on like scaling data availability for like five years before that. And we said, okay, now that we have Eigenlayer, let's just build the data service as a core service on top of Eigenlayer. There's also some like um, echoes from the cloud world. When AWS was built, one of the first services built on the Amazon Web Services is uh, a data store. I mean, because such a basic primitive, you want to store data, like otherwise, how do you build anything else? That's exactly what what EigenDA is, is a data availability system built on top of Eigenlayer for use by Ethereum rollups. And so that's the first use case. Real, it's real not, quick, just to I, kind of stop on that one yeah. so I can explain, because I just, I sometimes forget, most people don't understand what DA is. DA is, um, you, you kind of explained it, but just to make it really simple, essentially like uh, with the rollups, like most of the costs that comes from like an L2 is actually from data availability. Like that is, I don't know, something like 90% of the cost is from the data availability. And so one of the problems right now is Ethereum is trying to make that cheaper. And that's what um, EIP 4844 does is that makes it a little cheaper, but like it's 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 kind of like a, a short-term fix and long-term they wanna make it a lot cheaper. And so you have all these things like um, Celestia, you have EigenDA, all these things are coming in to say, hey, we can fix this problem right now. Um, but the problem is, is like now you're not all it's, it's like you're you're far less dependent on Ethereum. And so people say, well, you're not really an, an ETH L2 if you're using Celestia DA, because now you have to trust Celestia. But what's really cool about Eigen DA is you're you're yeah, you're trusting Eigen, but not really because it's built with restaking. So you're actually just trusting ETH like to me, this seems like such an amazing solution to the problem. Like it's, <laughs> it shortcuts a lot of things because you're not, it's, I mean, there's again, a little smart contract between, but you're essentially just, you have the almost near the same trust assumptions as ETH because it's built on ETH. That's so cool. Yeah. So that's a, that's exactly the kind of high level idea. There are some details, for example, you know, is all the ETH restaked or only some subset of it? So that, that's a modulation on the trust is is all the ways in which you know these validators can cheat or, or all of them slashable or only some of them slashable as there's some technical details but high level that's exactly the principle is you know if you're an l2 and you're using da like what is the closest to ethereum da that you can get out of protocol and that is eigen da so that's yeah that's amazing all right that, that gives me really pumped because i mean i feel like uh, an l2 using eigen da is still an L2. It's still fully dependent on Ethereum. Um, but you can continue. Sorry, I just wanted to, to touch on that. No, no, that's... Uh, that, <laughs> thank you. The um, 
not only that it is like eigenda centered around ethereum it just has a whole bunch of innovations in architecture and scaling and everything else relative to everything out there it's much closer to dunk sharding than it is to celestia or other other systems but also it has a lot of benefits because you know one of the hard things in a blockchain is arriving at consensus means ordering of all the transactions and eigen eigen da is not a chain or you know it's not a blockchain or anything else like celestia or avail are actually blockchains they have their own ordering system and and everything the eigen da is is completely subservient to ethereum it's just a layer which is living on ethereum and then like writing that data is available and these kind of claims back to ethereum it doesn't have an its own ordering layer it, ethereum is the ordering layer for eigen da so what this does is lets us super specialize in how to actually just provide data availability and scale the heck out of it so our launch throughput is 10 megabytes per second which is i think uh, 500 times uh, protodoc sharding or 4844 so we can just scale this system quite a bit while not not taking the solana approach of like all the nodes need to have very high bandwidth but it's the system has high throughput because every node does only a little bit but together the system does a lot so that's the kind of basic principle so that's eigenda it's it has a lot of other cool features like economics for example you can reserve for your own like data bandwidth in eigenda like if i'm a roll up i don't have to compete with other rollers oh i don't have to worry about like a new bold ape drop and then suddenly price rising for everybody i have reserved my own data throughput for one year at this price i just pay it and because i have so much you know eigenda has so much throughput we can do all these things. we we think a lot of us a lot of our design like amazon like aws a, you know people use the cloud most 70% of the cloud is reserved rather than spot spot is you can go and just take like cloud access right now but a lot of this reserves so that's the same thing with eigenda is you can just reserve and when you reserve you could negotiate to pay in your own token no so when you're running your own roll up it feels a lot like you're being your own chain because you have a fixed amount of block space you you just pay for it with a fixed amount of inflation like it doesn't feel like you're you're taking these extraneous risks and as far as the eat stakers they get more aligned with the l2 communities because now they are actually getting paid in these you know potentially other l2 tokens so like it's a very interesting econ- so a lot of our thinking is about like you have different parties and they have like like different interests if there is a win win to be made why not just make the match so that's that's what we're doing so something like eigenlayer da how, how much would that take down transaction costs like just as an a ballpark estimate it's throughput increasing 500x so you know if you just apply the same kind of thing you would say okay you know it it is it can reduce fees finally <laughs> that would be crazy um okay and i think i know what this is now that i understand more about eigen but i i saw something about restaked rollups is that the concept of like kind of what i was mentioning earlier like you're just taking restaking and and building up building essentially a a rollup off of that and kind of skipping the the l1 i'm not giving the l1 so what's happening is in a rollup you are i even you just want to be an ethereum rollup straight up there's still a bunch of things that are problematic like number one you have a single central sequencer 
can you decentralize it? So can you use restaking for it? That's number one. Number two, um, if you're an optimistic rollup, your, your security model is assuming that there is some number of people at least kind of watching and raising fault alerts. Who's doing it? If you're a major rollup like Optimism or Arbitrum, the whole ecosystem's kind of watching. So you can't you can't do like you know Infura is watching and like all, you know MetaMask is watching. Like so, there's just a lot of people who are watching major rollups. But if you're a small rollup, maybe nobody's watching, and then you just sneak in an invalid <laughs> state like silently. It's <laughs> entirely possible, right? When you have thousands of rollups, so can you get a credibly neutral watching committee for all these rollups? You know. You run a service on Eigenlayer and then like you just randomly rotate across different rollups and watch it. And so that's a service that is being built on Eigenlayer. So then you look at fast finality, like rollups, rollup sequences now, like, you know, if you go to Arbitrum, you get this amazing thing, like 500 milliseconds, you get a yes. And that's so cool. But it's the Arbitrum sequences like promise that, you know, hey, I'm going to do this. It's, it doesn't, the trust doesn't come from anything else. Could you have like a small restaked committee that basically takes the thing and then promises that this is how the ordering is going to be, and now like you get economic security rather than a pinky promise. Like that is the like an, another thing that restaking it. Basically, like anything that requires either economic security or decentralization, we have this like magic box. You just like pull it and say, "Hey, give me this," and then it'll give you that. So, so with the Arbitrum thing, the, with their um, sequencer, and they're like, "Hey, we promise we're going to do it this way," and they use restaking. How would that actually look? Okay, so how it would look is they would instead of like running a single sequencer, there's a small committee which has enough stake, and that committee certifies that this is the order, and that committee is needed to write blocks to Ethereum, and it. If you get a certificate from the committee saying that, you know, this is your transaction, and later that is not the transaction that is being written by the committee into Ethereum, you can go and slash these guys. So you get a credible amount of economic security without having to know. I'm not saying Arbitrum's like single instant finality is a problem. It's okay because Arbitrum's such a big project and people can trust it. But when you have thousands of random rollups, who knows who are these projects and what is this sequencer and why do you trust them? And so that's where these kinds of like economic, crypto economic trust makes a lot more sense that you basically have a quick, small committee sign off on something. It has enough at stake that if it makes any uh, any promise that is not true, like it gets smashed. So with the committee, though, like I say they're like, hey, we'll sign up for these, you know, we'll sign up to restake for Arbitrum. You know, and then Arbitrum doesn't do their part, and then those guys get slashed. Like, why does... No, no, no. They will get slashed. So the, the slashing com conditions have to be always written carefully and thoughtfully. And one of the ways you would write the slashing condition for this is if you have a signed message from the committee saying that this transaction will be included, but it is not included when it's returned to Ethereum, then you slash the committee. It's attributable at that point because, you know, the committee should have... The committee signs off on things only things that it will eventually write to Ethereum. So the, these have checks and balances, but I think the, these can be made to work. That's what the restaked rollup with alt layer is, is what they did is they bundled three services, like the ordering, the decentralized sequencing, decentralized watching, and fast finality into one like meta service. 
that they call the restate rollout. I might not be understanding this. I'm trying, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, how is Arbitrum, like the, the, the people responsible for delivering, you know, saying there's, say they say, hey, we're going to fully, you know, decentralize our sequencer. Um, and if we don't, we're like held accountable by restaking. How do they get punished? Are, are they the one putting up? Can, can you explain that? No, no. So, so yeah, like what's happening is, the sequencer doesn't give, so normally what happens is transactions come to the sequencer and sequencer gives you a receipt saying, yes, your transaction will get in. And that's what's showing up in your MetaMask. Instead, you have to change it to say, transactions go to the, if you have a central sequencer, transactions go to the central sequencer and it's it, the sequencer sends the transaction to the committee. The committee says, yes, this is the next set of transactions and signs on it. And that's the receipt oh. that goes to the user. Oh, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So it's like, um... It's like a, 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 set, a different layer kind of on the sequencer that's, right. that's basically that's right. also val uh, validating that like these things are being, being done the way that they should be. That's correct. Got it. Oh, okay, okay. So I, you I, can build all these like micro and mini layers in, in the middle. Like you can build a, you know, this, any, so one of the fun things is any problem in the Ethereum modular roadmap, I can layer can fix it, right? For example, people are like, oh, if there are a thousand rollups, is there's not enough like uh, throughput on Ethereum? Okay, you use EigenDA. If there are these rollups, they want to move liquidity fast, and Ethereum's finalization time is 12 minutes, so it's very slow. So you can build a restaked fast finality layer, which immediately like asserts finality across these things. But this layer eventually settles to Ethereum. So you can split the difference in many, many ways to make the system really useful. Could you do, so I've, I've heard like near, they're doing like a weird settlement thing for L2s where they're having like a, a settlement layer before it goes to the L1 to make things quicker. You could you do something like that with restaking where it's like, hey. Uh, it, no, that's our, like our partnership with Nier. So oh. we, Nier came to us and like, hey, can we offer some services with Ethereum rollups? And we are like, hey, your chain is fast. Why don't you do fast finality with restaking? So that, that's what. Oh I my mean. gosh. Okay. Uh, okay. I saw, I saw another thing. I'm sorry. I'm just going down the rabbit hole because like this is no, so cool. cool. Yeah. What I saw something about, it said uh, serverless crypto economic co-process. What, what are serverless crypto economic co-processors? <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, serverless is this concept in the cloud, which is, hey, when instead of having a particular server assigned to a task, you, you just have these tasks defined and any server will pick up that task and execute it and send it back. So that's the serverless concept from like the cloud. But the important, the starting point is not that. The starting point is I'm sitting on Ethereum and I want to say, hey, update my Uniswap. Uh, you know, Uniswap V3 and V4 have these like powerful things where you you not only like provision liquidity, but you say at what price range you provision liquidity. You say, oh, I want provision liquidity only when ETH to USD is between $2,200 to $2,300. You can say things yeah. like that. And, but this requires like active monitoring and I have to be sitting and like keep on like saying, oh, now it's 2,300 to 2,320, right? Like, so it, instead of doing a passive liquidity provision, now I have to be like a active one. And that's a bit painful. What if I could write a simple AI protocol which says, look at all the history of transactions and then based on it, run this like machine learning algorithm that tells me how I should change the price. Now, the problem is that still needs like each one to write their own machine learning algorithm and run it. And how do you know that the person running the algorithm is trustworthy, all of this stuff. Instead, you run it on an eigenlayer service. The eigenlayer service is, 
hey, I, I want this is the history of transactions. Call this AI algorithm and let it run, and then let it make get the output in here. This is very like economically sensitive because if the AI algorithm comes back and says instead of one ETH is two thousand two fifty, it says one ETH is one dollar. Somebody will come and raid the pool immediately. So it's very very like risky and sensitive. But if these guys, like the guy who is making this claim, has put up enough ETH, let's say put up hundred million dollar worth of ETH, then I can transact hundred million dollar in the pool without any risk. Because if I get slashed, I can. If this goes wrong, I can go and slash those guys and refund these guys. So, so it's kind of like off-chain computation. It's similar, sort of, in some ways, to some of the stuff Chainlink's doing. So you're having off-chain computation. That's correct. It is off-chain computation with crypto economics certificates on-chain. So that's what is the new thing. Got it. Okay. Cool. Um, <laughs> and, and now the more places ETH is used as like the unit of denomination and the unit of risk, the more the better it is for the crypto economic security to also come from that same asset. Because if I say like the the risk is in ETH, but the backing collateral is in LINK, I have the relative price mismatch between LINK and ETH to worry about. But if it's ETH and ETH, it's one is to one. It's nice. It's clean. I noticed the other day, so uh, when you guys opened up recently to like allow more collateral to be staked, I went through and I staked some, because <laughs> I think you guys might have added some different like swell and stuff. I don't know if that was there before, but I hadn't noticed it. No, it wasn't. Okay, so I, so I took listen. swell and I uh, ended up staking on Eigenlayer. And I noticed you guys have like a points uh, system going on. Are you guys, is there plans for a token in the future? Is that something you're allowed to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of the points is uh, at the minimum, like, you know, when new services come on, they can prioritize uh, stakers who have basically been in the system for longer. So the points is a measure for that. So that's the minimum utility of the points. There may be other users, you know, it's basically also a way to identify membership of our community, right? So if you want to take a community vote on certain decisions, Yes, they have been in the system contributing for so long. So that's a way for us to identify and measure that. Got it. Okay, so no current plans for an airdrop, no current plans for a token. I'm sure it's something you guys have thought about, but it's not like something you're like actively pursuing. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, have you guys seen interest from, I'm sure you have, uh, protocols already who are like, we want to build on Eigenlayer? Yeah, there are tens of, I mean, maybe 20 protocols already kind of building on Eigenlayer. And to be honest, I think this is not a level of interest we expected on this at this time. The reason is, you know, to build a protocol, and you know, infrastructure protocol is a lot of complex work, and to build it on Eigenlayer is additional complex work too, because you have to understand what's going on Ethereum, how to transfer the stake, how to write a slashing condition, like there's more complexity to it. So. But lots and lots of protocols are building all kinds of interesting things. I mentioned like AI and stuff like that. There are three AI protocols building on Eigenlayer. There is all kinds of interesting and fun and crazy things that people are building. People are building, I want to call and run a Linux program on top of Ethereum. You know, K3 Labs and Cartesi are building this. I want to run like a um, SQL service on Eigenlayer. I just want to use a database from like, pre-crypto and I want to use it here. Like some people are building that, some people are building, um, you know, watchtowers I mentioned and Altlayer is building this bundled roll-up services. 
uh, Espresso is building decentralized sequencing service, shared decentralized sequencing for all the rollups. Um, we have major bridges building bridging protocols because imagine I'm one layer two and another layer two. People talk a lot about layer two to layer two fragmentation and like what's the solution? The solution is instead of waiting for like each rollup to settle to Ethereum, which may take like a long time, like seven days, I get enough economic certificate that yes, you know, this layer two, this is the right answer. Then if I get an economic certificate, I can use that to, to transact value across layer twos even before anything gets settled. So economic trust is basically another way of like tiding across, like moving time faster. Because I just put the money now and say, promise, yes, this is what's going to happen. And that's why you're seeing that this pattern is recurring. So bridging, like we have a lot of bridges. We have uh, new kinds of cryptography, like secret sharing. Like I want to take a secret and then spread it through the network. I want to do secure multi-party computation. I want to run on these uh, like new kinds of uh, hardware enclaves called trusted execution environments. So Puffer is a protocol which is building liquid staking for Ethereum using trusted execution environment. One of the things you're like when you're using a liquid staking protocol is how do you trust the operators? I said, if you trust the operator, then your ETH and your liquid staking token are worth the same because you'll never get slashed. But how do you trust the operator? I mean, maybe there's legal and personal reasons to trust something, but there are also technical ways and running inside a trusted execution environment is one of those ways where I'm saying, you're not trusting me really. It's this Intel hardware that is guaranteeing that this is how things will run. Like it can't run in any other way. So Puffer is building like liquid staking on top of it. But now, now that you have trusted execution environment, you not only can run staking services in TEE, you can run restaking services inside the TEE. Like that's another fun. That's lots of lots and lots of things. We had no idea that these things are possible or could be built, but just seeing them emerge is kind of like one of the great pleasures of building this project. And I bet when obviously you guys fully launch, you're gonna see like way more. Like I I bet a lot of people still don't quite understand what it is, especially like, I mean, I've listened to a ton of podcasts on Eigenlayer. I have looked into it quite a bit and it took this conversation for me to be like, whoa, this is crazy. And so I think as time goes on, and that's how the crypto space is, it takes a while for the market to kind of catch up on like what these things are. And when, when it is, there's gonna, I'm sure there's gonna be crazy ideas. Um, do you guys have like a date on, on when Eigenlayer is supposed to fully launch? Yes, so right now the, uh... Only the staker side is live on mainnet. Uh, on our testnet, we have staking, node operators, we have EigenDA, all of them running. Anybody can build and launch services on our testnet. So this is on a public testnet right now. Between Q1 and Q2, this will go on mainnet. So that's going to be a big, big event. EigenDA will be live. People can, data availability services will be live. So that'll be you know, a meaningful utility of the network. Um, we've seen a bunch of like major uh, interest in EigenDA, for example, Celo, which is a layer one protocol, but always kind of close to Ethereum. They wanted to use Ethereum's DA, but it's not enough capacity and too expensive. So, and they have a lot of payments use cases in Latin America and so on, but using EigenLayer, they can actually, EigenDA, they can actually satisfy all of that. So. We'll, this will go between Q1 and Q2 live, and we'll, we'll see how the 
the market reacts to it. So maybe just in all of crypto, what projects currently, because I mean, you're a builder, you're a curious guy. I'm sure you see a lot of cool stuff. What are you currently, what's interesting to you right now? What are you seeing in the space? You're like, that's really interesting. I think the intersection of crypto and AI is very interesting, but very few people have kind of found what is the really interesting, important problems to solve. So I think there'll be some major developments in that in the coming couple of years. The high level is, you know, AI has this kind of, um, there's a huge difference between open source AI and a closed source AI world. Closed source AI world controlled by a couple of people, you know, it puts every, I mean, because it's so powerful, the more powerful something is, the more like, you know, democratic it should be. Like that's the basic principle. And I think finding and building the right set of things at the intersection of crypto and AI is going to be like a major deal. So that's that's one of the things. If I were not building Eigenlayer, that's what I would be building. Well, Eigenlayer kind of intersects with that a little bit. I mean, I feel like with uh, AI, you need a lot of trust. Yeah, absolutely. Several of these solutions will be building on Eigenlayer. Uh, yeah. So if I were not just building the core platform, that's the product I'd be building is how to intersect crypto and AI. What about any, is there any specific projects you've seen recently where you're like, that's pretty cool what they're building? Um, lots of them. I think like the, uh, the, the innovation rate is really like high and in, inside the builder community. For example, I mentioned Cartesi, you can run Linux on top of Ethereum. Um, risk zero, I can run, I can create zero knowledge proofs for general like um, arbitrary computational programs. Uh, and we tested some like things and we were blown blown away by like uh, how easy it is to write like a zero knowledge proof. It used to be very difficult. And even now, like for most part, it is difficult. Just write a kind of like a Rust program and then you can get a zero knowledge proof for it. It's pretty amazing. Um, and then uh, you, you see a lot of the uh, work around the roll-up stack. Uh, I think, you know, better bridging systems um you know we are excited about one of our partnerships with polymer polymer is bringing ibc which is the cosmos uh messaging interchain standard to ethereum rollups that's pretty cool that you can take. <laughs> that <is cool. laughs> so there are lots of these i think lots of really cool ideas uh and one of the things i found over time is there is this like builder type persona in the crypto space. They just like deep and they just in, in their space and just building and they you know, have deep ideological reasons. There's a lot of like degen energy, which is, Hey, you know, what is the kind of like thing to speculate on? <laughs> I think making a connection between these two, like, you know, empowering the, the speculators to bet on long-term powerful, useful things is the kind of win-win for our community. And so hopefully, you know, Eigenlayer can play that role over time that it brings a lot of intellectual builders together with enough financial activity that that actually becomes meaningful traction. So that's, that's the role we would like to play.